First of all, thank all of you, thanks to the conference organizers, and thanks to all of you for hanging in there all the way through the afternoon, through three days into the afternoon. Um, and as, okay, as Bert said, um, I'm here to introduce, largely to introduce, a relatively new initiative called Sustainable Cultural Heritage through the engagement of local communities projects. Um, or as we say, because that's a really, that's mouthful, SHEP. Um, this is a USAID funded project um, being implemented by the American Center of Oriental Research, or ACOR. Um, we're honored to be included in Uman Jamal, a success story section, because one of our 2015 project sites um, is Uman Jamal. So after I talk a little bit about SHEP in general, I want to consider what might, cons might constitute a success story for SHEP. The inspiration for SHEP was the community engagement piece of ACOR's Temple of the Winged Lions Cultural Resource Management Project in Petra. Um, in sum, uh, the element, the cultural resource management element um, of what we call TWL, sorry for all the acronyms, but we do belong to USAID now. Um, and <laughs> the um, cultural resource management element of TWL aimed to engage the host communities in the conservation and protection of the site and to create economic benefit contingent on site conservation and protection. SHEP was signed into existence early last November. In the form finally approved by USAID, the project includes three objectives. The first objective, objective one, is to engage host communities in the management of the cultural heritage resource, or CHR resource, um, by building their skills and abilities to preserve, manage, and promote the resource through small-scale grants. Um, note that small scale. Okay, we are a pilot project with a fraction of the budget of typical USAID projects, and I'll come back to that later. <laughs> Objective two is to create a Jordanian heritage community of practice, as we call it, by building skills for best practices in site preservation, conservation, management, and tourism promotion through workshops, coursework, and practica involving hands-on experiences in cultural heritage resource development. Objective three is to build synergies with and outreach to relevant governmental departments, institutions, and professional associations for improved preservation and um, protection, pr protection practices um, in marketing sustainable tourism. All, <clears throat> as I note at the bottom here, all of this information as well as the first request for applications um, are available on ACOR's website, and I noted that here. Objectives two and three <clears throat> address the larger context of cultural heritage management, the sort of net into which individual sites fall. Um, I'm fortunate to work alongside Huda Kilani managing the objective two, and our new chief of party, who's unable, who's, he's abroad right now, but um, our new chief of party, Nizar Aladarbe, who will be spearheading objective three. My position is CHR project leads. Um, overseeing objective one, responsible for developing specific sites. SHEP is tasked with selecting at least eight pilot sites over four years, and we're in the midst of our first year on sites. At this point, the pilot sites are, T are Temple of the Winged Lions, TWL, um, Busaira, Birmethkur, Borasafi, and Omal Jamal. 
Criteria for the selection of sites includes geographical distribution, the urgency of need for intervention at the heritage resource, the, and the economic status of the community involved. Um, we're making a pointed effort to choose a disadvantaged communities. And the presence of other factors which militate towards community support of the site. Some of those are duration and depth of involvement of the cultural resource management or CRM professionals in the community, a clear intent and track record of building CRM capacities within the community, and positioning within the broader tourism network. Um, so again, back to this theme of clusters. Um, we will be publishing a new request for applications in the first half of 2000, 2016, inshallah. <clears throat> As I've mentioned, the original intent of SHEP was to protect cultural heritage, to motivate or engage host communities to protect their sites, as we say. The assumption that undergirds the original proposal is that a combination of economic benefit and improved skills and awareness will motivate the host community to protect the cultural heritage resource. Thus, though the foundational goal of SHEP was protection of cultural heritage, the project end ends up under the economic development section of USAID. As noted, SHEP is a pilot project intended at least partly to produce a working model for employment in host communities. SHEP as a whole will ultimately be evaluated primarily on the number of jobs and new, new income we're able to introduce into a community. This panel title has a question mark. Success story, question mark? So what does it mean to ask whether Umm Jamal or any other project site is a success story? How is success measured by whom and to what end? Once again, the assumption undergirding SHEP is that a combination of economic benefit and improved skills and awareness will motivate the host community to protect the cultural heritage resource. We are asking that host communities value the site to protect and maintain it, but how is this value to be established? At Omo Jamal, though there is considerable local awareness of the site, committed local authorities, and a long association between the archeological project and local residents, we do have the usual litter problem, a severe and persistent looting problem, vandalism to buildings and signage, graffiti on ancient structures. If Shep's undergirding, as we see here, Mohammed Rahiba is with us on the side of um, one of the structures at Omar Jamal. Um, and if Shep's, okay, so if Shep's undergirding assumptions are correct, Creating an economic value, creating economic value for the host community should elicit a different kind of commitment to the site. Where, practically speaking, is that economic benefit likely to come from? I feel, I should say, grateful to Angela and Muna and others and Mwafak for setting me up and giving you tons of background on this. <laughs> so again, where is the economic benefit likely to come from? If we're expecting economic benefit, in fact, to motivate the protection of the site, where are we going to get that economic benefit? The obvious answer is tourism, of course. Less obvious answers are products, such as basalt handicrafts, um, explicitly related to the site with a market broader than tourism, as Angela um, mentioned in some of the question and answer period. Um, skills, perhaps, and here this 
those of you who are here and, and heard my question to, to Ignacio will understand where I'm going with that question. Um, skills learned in the process of conserving the heritage resource. Um, for example, the production of architectural elements from basalt for the construction industry or the rehabilitation of cisterns for water and storage, water harvesting and storage. So, so another potential um, econo you know, gener generator of economic benefit is the skills actually learned in the process of conservation. How will SHEP's efforts to create economic value be evaluated by USAID? What does USAID consider a success? These are our mandated targets. 1,200 full-time jobs, 4,000 people trained in CHR best practice. Fortunately, the training piece is shared by my colleagues working on objective two, uh, focusing on capacity building, on workshops, courses, and practica. But the burden of the 1,200 jobs falls mainly to me and my assistant, Abdurrahman Anasarat, and indirectly to our project partners, such as Bert and Mwafaq and Paul and Jeff, who will be presenting last. I know you could do the math, but I think it's good to see it in stark print. Um, this is eight projects, three and a half years, 150 jobs per project. According to the USAID target, Burton Wafak and I need to create 150 jobs at Omal Jamal in the next two years. Crazy, right? Um, here's how we'll do it for USAID, and we'll be called a success. The recent USAID definition of a job, one full-time equivalent, is four weeks of paid work at 40 hours per week. 150 FTEs over two years, 75 FTEs a year, 300 four-week units of work. So if I employ 38 people for eight weeks each on eight sites for two years, I make my targets. By this accounting, we will have created 1,216 jobs. But to return to Shep's raison d'etre, will such accounting actually create value in the host community? Will this kind of job creation militate towards protecting the site? Evidence up to now would suggest not. Frankly, eight weeks of low-paid seasonal employment on an archaeological site, usually without paying taxes, enrolling in Social Security, or providing health insurance, is pretty much business as usual in traditional archaeological practice. Does Mohammed Rahaybe, our friend that we, whose graffiti we saw earlier, does he value the antiquity site at Omal Jamal? Does the community value the site enough to punish him for defacing it? Apparently not. Chris Tuttle, one of the minds behind ACOR's uh, TWL project, along with many of others of us, have been working to change that model, not only in, the cultural, in cultural heritage conservation, but in the development sector as a whole. SHEP, in concept, is one of the results of that effort. After 21 years in Jordan, 19 of which, considering the intersection of traditional models of archaeology and sustainable development, I would like to advance the following aspiration to success on a project site in terms of economic development. What I think will actually create the kind of value that lures a community to care for the site, to see it as indeed a resource a resource worth protecting. First of all, low-paid seasonal labor is not economic development. We have reserved, received no stipulations about the rate of pay, 
though we will assume that the minimum remuneration is the Jordanian minimum wage of 190 GDs a month. But there's plenty of research to support the position that creating a stable middle class is the economic avenue to political stability and to the creation of local identity. You can't make plans, have dreams on four weeks of work, especially if there's a vested interest in moving you out and putting another name on the list. So what constitutes a middle class income in Jordan? According to the Ministry of Planning, in 2008, Jordan's middle class was defined by an annual per capita individual expenditure range of 1,360 to 2,720 Jordan, Jordanian dinars a year. Right, so 113 to 227 GDs a month. The average middle class household includes 4.5 people. The national average household size is 5.7, and disadvantaged, disadvantaged communities average six to eight people, depending on the region. An average middle class household thus spends 553 to 1,021 GDs a month. By World Bank accounting, Jordan's average per capita income in 2012 was about 3,300 a year, though 44% of Jordan's income goes to the richest 20% of the population, and only 20% goes to the poorest 40%. That means for 40% of Jordanians' annual per capita income is something like 660 JDs, annual per capita income. In a family of six, that's less than 4,000 a year, around 330 JDs a month. A UNHCR study conducted in 2014 placed average household income in Omo Jamal municipality at 193 JDs a month, 6.5 JDs a day. We all know that this is barely enough to put food on the table for the average family of six. A sahlathaniya, this Eid al-Adha, costs 225 JDs. In Birmeth Kor, another Shep community, the unemployment rate is 87.5%. A job that pays JD 400 a month is a job worth literally fighting over. You can't plan and dream and invest yourself in a place on 6.5 JDs a day. My aspiration is that we think in terms of livelihood and households, not jobs. Of stability and the opportunity to dream for ourselves and for our children. If your dream for your daughter is contingent on income from the cultural heritage resource, you will identify your daughter with the integrity of the site. If you're treated with respect and gain respect from your work on the heritage site, and that work endures over time, you will protect your work. If you're treated as an interchangeable unit of labor on a checklist, your regard for the source of your wage is likely to be about the same. So I'd like to come at the problem from another angle and say I want to provide a stable income for 1,200 people, 150 people per site. By yet another means of accounting, this is 25 households of six people per household. That means, for example, five micro, for example, I mean just one of many, five micro enterprises yielding at least 400 JDs profit per month, 4,800 a year, plus 20 jobs of 400 a month times 12 months a year. Another way to envision this is to bring in business worth JOD 25 times 400 times 12 every year, 120,000, into Om Omal Jamal. The, and realize these examples have to do with the amount of money that Shep has to spend and, and 
they're simply examples. Um, 120,000 into Omo Jamal that goes directly into households in the village. One way to do this would to be to bring in 60,000 tourists, international, domestic, and school tourists, and induce them to spend a mere two JDs each in the actual town. Better yet, 24,000 who each spend five JDs. <clears throat> Shep has about 140,000 JDs per site, spread over two, at least two years. Um, when I said we are a small USAID project, I cannot underscore how small we are. <laughs> um, after overheads and salaries, we can give about 100,000 in cash to each site. Why wouldn't it be more efficient since we're going to be evaluated on jobs? Why wouldn't it be more efficient just to give out 5,000 to 20 households every year? Or 2,500 to 40 households? This isn't nothing. It would double the current livelihood of 40 houses in Omul Jamal for two years. Of course, first, we want that income to be tied to the maintenance of a cultural heritage site and to build skills to conserve and protect the resource. Second, we're trying to build sustainability into livelihoods related to the site. That is, we that is to have the extra income continue to flow into households after the USAID project is over. If we continue the traditional archaeological model of low-paid seasonal labor, we can still easily meet our USAID targets. But does this constitute successful economic development? To my mind, SHEP is a success if we walk away from the project after two or three years and one, the site is both improved and protected. Two, we leave behind four or five jobs or enterprises that will actually sustain households indefinitely after we're gone. Given 100,000 JDs a project, that would be an investment of 20 to 25,000 JDs per household, roughly what the United States Small Business Association says calculates as a reasonable startup cost for a small business, which is quite efficient. And by efficient, I mean that 25,000 JDs created 10 years of economic stability for six to eight people, a return on investment greater than if we had simply handed them the cash for two years. But to return to the idea of bringing in, let's say, 120,000 tourists who each spend one JD, a falafel, a bottle of water, a suite, and a phone card each. Um, this requires investment in the town and the site. Um, we need to give people a reason to come to Omo Jamal. Obviously, there's been plenty of discussion of this. I don't need to go deeply into it. Um, to come to Omo Jamal and stay there for a while and spend money. Getting 24,000 people to come and spend five JDs each, a sit-down lunch and a souvenir, requires yet a bigger investment. In order to create a context in which tourism and other micro-enterprise can flourish and create sustainable year-round jobs, we need to reach beyond traditional archaeological models and integrate every agent of development working in and around a site. And if, from my perspective, if we're going to call Omal Jamal a success story, this is one of the salient virtues that I have experienced working there. Um, Department of Antiquities, Ministry of Tourism, Ministry of Planning, UNESCO, UNDP, other NGOs and aid agencies, including other USAID programs, all of these people have been on site to answer Heria's question. 
All of these people have been on site more than once in the last three months. Um, that kind of attention, and I feel, with, with whatever other stresses we all feel towards each other, there is, it, there does seem to be um, a momentum of agencies and personalities working together at Omo Jamal. Um, most of all, we need to partner with local organizations, municipalities, the municipality, Obeladia, the functional community-based associations. I'm proud to say that Shep is sponsoring hand-to-hand -hand the new nonprofit company that will be working um, for and out of Omo Jamal, um, and also local businesses, which will outlive project cycles with their project cycles. I want to recall Mona's warnings about the word mashrua, <laughs> um, which will outlive project cycles with their quick wins. Okay, I'm almost done. Um, with their quick wins and m and &E checklists. I see SHEP's most important function not in handing out small-scale grants, but in making that money work, focusing constantly to connect resources and train our eyes on sustainability. Training and capacity building that does not lead to jobs leads to frustration. Short-term, low-paid employment does not empower or build self-respect or respect for the resource. Will SHEP be a success story? Will Omal Jamal be a success story? According to our donor, SHEP will be a success story if we make our targets. For Omal Jamal, that means 150 jobs. I want to be clear that, that the, create, I, the goal of creating 1,200 jobs over four years on less than a million JDs is a worthy goal. Um, but I want to engage that challenge in good faith. And there's success and then there's enduring success. And I hope in thinking through income generation and jobs and um, employment and all of those good words, um, that, that we can suggest um, stronger and more enduring ways to create, quote unquote, economic success at, at least. Um, I hope we can return to our sites a decade and two decades from now and see our work in progress still. And the cultural resource we, resources we have worked to protect, protected and valued by their host communities. Thank you. Aaron, thank you very much. Uh, we have room, uh, time, room for a couple of <laughs> questions. I've exhausted you. Too many numbers. Dr. Yes, Dr. Jamahavi. This nice, uh, let me see, uh, business uh, <laughs> calculations. <laughs> the issue is, uh, yes, we do agree with you that you are tackling one of the three pillars I was raising this morning, which is the co local communities. And we need them to be our and in safeguarding our sites. And But the issue, you know, um, is how to look globally for the area. It's not only Umm al We are dealing with the North Badia. Maybe we are dealing with Umm al as, as a focal or as center of that area. But I'm, 
I'm receiving calls from there and there around villages like Sarhan, Umm Al-Guttin, Umm Misrab, and, and they are say, asking me, why not you are helping us like what you are doing for Umm Al-Jamal? I'm telling them that once Umm Al-Jamal will be promoted effectively for tourism, the whole area will be. But I think to include, partially to include in your program, the surrounding, some of the surrounding communities also, in your program, how to aware them to start thinking of their maybe hidden skills, what potentials they have to produce for, we are optimistic for the coming future. So what we are dealing is, well, or, or, or what we are doing is, we are preparing for the future people who are aware to the importance of tourism, aware to the uh, socio-economic impacts that might be flourished mm -hmm. by increasing number of tourists coming to that area. So I think we have also to work on some surrounding villages around, not only because they are locals, rather because also they have other potentials from archaeological point of view they have good sites I have rich, been yes. yes i have been to misrab i have been to sarhan i have been to they have also uh, very attractive destinations or uh, sites to be visited thank you um i i love the comic because these are all villages that i love and i, I know how rich they are and um, I will say one practical thing, which is, in fact, we don't have a ton of money. <laughs> we, have to, we have to focus our, our, our efforts. On the other hand, I think other people have touched on the importance of clustering sites in the northeastern Badia, and that clustering um, will reinforce all the sites. I mean, obviously, if we have a cluster of sites around Umal Jamal, that reinforces Umal Jamal as well as the other sites. Um, and my focus here really was Umal Jamal and Shep, introducing Shep, which Andre asked me to do. Um, and I wanted also to look at hard numbers and how do we calculate this and how are, how are the donors assessing us versus the way, what we want to do in our communities. But I really appreciate the comment and I think it's absolutely on target. And I have an idea that I've, I've talked to several different, I think actually when you were at um, Umal Jamal on the day that's in this picture, um, I mentioned this, which is to develop Friday Souk events that involve the communities the satellite communities around Omal Jamal um, or any other target site um, in which uh, you can attract the Friday visitor from Amman to spend the day in Omal Jamal and to um, enjoy food products and handicrafts and perhaps ancillary trips to other sites around Omal Jamal. So thank you very much. Uh, yes, my, <coughs> um, my own observation would be also that I think Ignacio mentioned it earlier that once uh, you get traffic into the area with Umal Jamal as a kind of fulcrum, uh, it becomes the basis for a network and, and uh, uh, professional tour people like Yusuf Hilu, Hilo would you know, take people around to Umar Surab and so on. Masbud? Well, and if we had a really nice, clean, simple bed and breakfast, as Jean suggested.